Have you ever wondered what makes the leaders we see today, the faces that you see on magazine covers, on social media? We read and we hear about what was built, how it was built, even who built it, but we rarely gain insight into how they were built. We see the final product, but what if we could see the original blueprint, the process, the design, the schematic? What if we could gain insight into the past with a focus on where we go from here, to hear how these leaders are pushing for a more just, a more equitable, a more inclusive future, to understand how they see the challenges of today and tomorrow. Here you will find leaders turning success into significance. If you want to meet the leaders with a focus on doing well and a passion for doing good, you will find it here. Welcome to the leaderboard. Welcome to another episode of The Leaderboard. I'm Zach. And I'm Henry. And thank you for spending some of your time with us today. Today we are joined by Myra McNair from Anesis. She is the founder of, I think, one of the most exciting organizations in this community right now, doing some amazing work. We're going to talk about not just the work you're doing, but just who you are as well and help our listeners better understand. Uh, so thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. You know, as you heard in the intro, um, part of this is to better understand who you are, the blueprint, the the whole person, right? And um, in your work, I've heard you talk a lot about sort of the system, but can we go backwards just to start and like better understand, you know, what that blueprint might have looked like? Like maybe let's maybe go 13-year-old Myra. Oh, wow. Yeah. Way uh, back. Well, can't, can't, can't tell you here. <laughs> can't tell you. First of all, Myra, that's a very, very important question. Okay, mm-hmm. but we usually have a bio where we go back and forth about your bio so people know who you are. <laughs> You're right. I just tried to get down. I just tried to strip it. And so, and so, he's so excited about talking. Either, he, either that, or he's intimidated. I don't know which one it is. Right? Maybe a little bit of both. So he so wanted to jump into the conversation. I knew I was something. And because he usually takes a beat down on these, so he usually okay. loses. Right? So. I have taken a lot of. He, he's he's nervous right now, so he's trying to skip that. He's trying to jump. Past that, right? So, Zach, I'm gonna let you. T- I'm gonna let you repent a little bit here and <laughs> start over. And let's talk about her bio because we want to. Sure. Let's talk about the take the L like a man. Uh, take it like a take founder it of Anesis Family okay. Therapy. Yes. Now I want to say this. I'm embarrassed to say this. Okay, I am embarrassed, and I, I need to say this publicly. When I was researching you, I'm like, she's clearly been on Madison 365 most influential list. <laughs> And you haven't been. I literally checked my team. So hasn't she been? And you haven't. That's okay. <laughs> but no, no, it's 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 embarrassing. Like you definitely should have been on the list. I, I apologize. I don't even know how that missed that. I, I've never done this before on this have I? I've never said like so. You should have been on the list. And I want you to know that publicly, you should have been on the like influential list. You'll be on the next time. So that's I want you to know. I respect you enough, face to face. You should be on that list. So I'm just for okay. this bio part. You should have. You should be on that list. Okay. Well, now, what did you say? <laughs> oh, I thought that was your. That was your. You just saying she wasn't on the Madison Two. Uh, but no, that's, that's, that's that was your statement. I'll take, I'll that take was it. Bio? I'll take, okay. I'll take, I'll take uh, it. Not to throw shade because you know I do love Madison Three Sixty Five, but she is Best of Business by Madison Magazine this year, and well deserved. Uh, and so let me think. Um, 
Oh, what I actually love a lot mm-hmm. about your story is that when you started, Anisis, you were actually had a business. You're already working at Journey Mental, yes. right? Yep. And you were working there 30 hours and yes. you're still doing this twice a week and you yes. started this. I love that grind. So mm-hmm. that to say something about her bio. Yeah. Entrepreneur who ended up employing two people in your first year. Yes. Now you have about between 40 and 50. It depends on who I read, which one I read, but it's between 40 and 50. I think we're at 50. Yep. Mm-hmm. Bought a building and expanded the business in the middle of the pandemic. Yes. And on the north side, you got to build on the north side. Yes, we do. Oh. Yep. Uh, what, what, what's that? Because the main office is in <laughs> on the west side. West. She has one on the north side, a, international lane, I think. Is yep, it? that's correct. It's, I was about to flag you for that, but you're right. <laughs> but, but, I'm about to throw the flag, but yeah, you're, but right, you're, you're right. right. You know I know the north side. Uh, Edgewood graduate. Yes. Uh, Edgewood professor, adjunct professor correct. Edgewood. Yes. Also has a professional relationship with UW. Yes. And she does something uh, Mount Zion. Yep. Sure. Drop in. Drop in with Mount Zion. Yep. Uh, married husband is a pastor. Correct. I stole it. I snatched it right out <laughs> well, of here. Well, it shout out to shout her husband. Like he's he's an artist. He's a he's a singer, and I think he's the black first black minister ever at Black Hawk. I think you're right. Yes. Yes. So. What's that have to do with her? That's, they're one. <laughs> you know, they are one. Would you agree with that? Yes, yes. When you see him, you see me, okay. and, and vice versa. <laughs> um, yeah, see, nervous. Yeah, 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 yeah. She did. Cassie, give it up. Right. Chip, chip, chip. I have an ace in the hole, though. No. <laughs> Was just elected to the Chamber of Commerce board. Oh, wow. That's not. Mic oh. drop. That's not. <laughs> unanimously, <laughs> mic drop. First, first of all, that's not, that's not, that's cheating, and this is rigged. Well, congratulations! Thank you. That's a, that's a credit of honor, and please keep him honest. Keep him on the right track, will you? I think I can do that. Do that, please. And I, you know, I know you're doing for the lighthouse with my boy with the Marcio. So yes, yeah. Shout out. Anyways, I'm gonna give this to you because of the chamber thing. I'll take I'll take the W. <laughs> There's a lot of L's in my column, but I'll take the W. Um, but thank you for joining us. We are um, when you said yes, we were all very excited about the opportunity to really yeah. to dig into not just the work you're doing, but who you are. Yes. Um, so before I got super excited, super excited, and then jumped ahead of the bio and just tried to. Uh, and the whole time I was talking, I was like, I'm forgetting something, but it just feels right to go back. <laughs> um, let's go back to that question of so 13 year old Myra. Oh, wow. You looked forward in your life, and what were you thinking? What, what did what did the future look like for you? So it's very. That's like I think this is like the first time anyone has ever asked me to go that far back. So I would say, probably most people would be really shocked at who thirteen year old Myra was. So thirteen year old Myra was nowhere near thinking about being a therapist, a business owner. Um, I, what you would call probably more like a troubled teen um, or a teenager at risk. And so believe it or not, I've spent time in group homes, um, in juvenile detention centers um, when I was a teenager and, you know, a single mother raising me from Minnesota. So not really looking too much at the future when I was a teenager. And so it's a really interesting question. So that's kind of where I was. And I think that's what Today brings me a lot of compassion and empathy in the work that I do. It keeps me humbled. My experience um, and my background keeps me humbled. Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, so it's a that's a great question. So what um so what was the point? I mean, I love that you shared it because um, mm-hmm. you know part of there's sort of two audiences here, and one of the audiences is young people trying to figure out yeah. what that blueprint looks like for them. Yeah. I guess then maybe fast forward to what was that point where you felt you were on the track that got you to the success that you have today? Yeah, so I would say you know that probably did, you know, right. Is like having those experiences and then coming out of that. Um, and then like going to college at the time when I was going to college, I actually thought I was going to go to medical school. I knew I wanted to help people. And even though I had some, you know, like some years of just like being in trouble as a teenager, my mom did work with teenagers and she worked with the homeless population. And so I always did look up to her, but then there was a part of me also where I was like, I don't want to be anything like my mom. She works way too hard. I don't mind helping people, but I want to like go home and like not like worry about people when I get home. So I thought medical school would be a really good thing, and so I did. <laughs> I did my bachelor's you don't get in to bi- go home, and all you do is right, help people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I did my bachelor's in biology, and I did really great. Ended up getting married, and then. Um, in the church, you know, which was predominantly black. So in the black church, um, just seeing so much mental health concerns and issues. And like the big thing and was just like, just pray about it, just pray about it. And it not really being normalized to get help. And being with the background that I had, I was like, it's not bad to get help, right? And to get, you know, to talk to someone and, and really work those issues out with like your family or whatever it may be going on. And so really fast, you know, I was just really kind of intrigued and like, what would it be like if I just go into the mental health field? And I did some research and I was like, I think this is what I want to do. And, and here you are. And here I am. Yeah. I heard you say, I think I heard you say you went to school for biology. Is that what you said? Yes. Okay. How does that even happen? <laughs> like, yeah. Who goes to school for biology and then I, then how many black folks go to school for biology? How, how did that how did that happen? Yeah. You know, I don't know how it happened. It just happened. <laughs> I would say, you know, being from Minnesota, being um, you know, from northern Minnesota, there wasn't a lot of black people going into school for biology. But I knew that I liked science. Um, I knew I was good at it, and I just went ahead and and did it. Well, that's impressive. You um you mentioned about when you were thirteen and some of the struggles you had growing up. Yeah. Was I'm guessing that you find you look at people most of their life, look at what they did in the past, kind of makes who they who they are today. Uh huh. Was there trauma that happened in your past? I know, like yes. listen to you and in other interviews, trauma. You talk about trauma a lot. Yeah. Was there trauma growing up that you yes. had to deal with, learn how to deal with it in a healthy way? Yes. Um, I would say for me, probably more when I was younger. And so my mom had, you know, some of her own substance abuse issues while I was growing up. And so she ended up coming out of it. Um, but I think there was like a lot of, for me, I was in foster care for about like a year or two. And so I was really young. And I think all of those issues kind of caught up with me when I was a teenager. And then when I was able to get the help that I needed, right, and to talk those things out, work through it, you know, you get your healing. And so I, I just think it is important to, like, always go back, right, and and assess kind of, like, what happened, what are the, how did it impact me, how am I feeling about it, um, because it, it will overflow and seep into other areas if you don't deal with it. 
I recently heard someone say, um, if you spend too much time in the past, you'll feel depressed. And if you spend too much time in the future, you'll feel anxious. But how do you go back without getting stuck there? Yeah. So that's a, a really great question. I think that we are all stuck back in the past if you don't deal with it. And so I think there are some times, and what I tell people in therapy is like, if it's too much for you, like we take it step by step. But then also, especially when I'm working with kids, what I tell kids and youth, I say, we're going to talk about it here. But when you go home, feel free, be a kid. Do You don't have to worry about what we're talking about in therapy once we leave, unless I'm like giving some kind of homework or some grounding exercises or things like that for people to work on. But I'm like, this is the room, this is your safe space to process and let all those things out. When you leave here, be a kid, have fun, do all the things that you need to do to be a kid, and then do the work here. I have two questions for you. Um, one, trauma, can trauma be passed on generationally? Mm-hmm. Can that, like, if it can, how do we address that generational trauma that's been yeah. passed on from my parents, from their parents, from their yeah. parents, and from a black perspective, all the way back from slavery, I'm guessing. If yeah. it can be, I don't know the answer yeah. to that, but if it can be passed yeah. on, how do you stop yeah. that trauma from being passed on generationally? Yeah. Uh, that's the one question. The second question is, mm-hmm. you mentioned faith and praying and how people go to church and you know, yeah. people know I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a Jesus nerd. So, but um, <laughs> how do you go saying, yes, praying is important, yeah. but also getting the help. And then how do you explain that to people that they don't have to be opposite of each other yeah. from the, from a church perspective. Really curious about folks for those yeah. questions. Yeah. So the first question is, yes, um, trauma can be passed down. And so what we, what people really mean when they say that, it's not like your kid's going to have the same traumatic experience that you had. It means that the gene expression, right, is carried on. And so you may have like symptoms of trauma, but maybe never experienced trauma. Like if you had a caregiver who had a traumatic experience. And then we talk about like historical trauma, right? Where it's like a collective group of people that have experienced like similar uh, the similar trauma. And they've done a ton of research. I won't get into that, but they've done it with like Native Americans and in, in Minnesota with um, Holocaust, um, not the survivors, but their children the, of the survivors of the Holocaust. And so this has been very researched. And so what you do and what I always encourage people is like, hey, if trauma can be passed down, healing can be passed down, right? And so it's, you know, you get your healing, you you learn new ways to cope with things, you learn new behaviors. All of those things are taught down, right? Like they're they're taught, they're passed down to the next generation when we're parenting. And so it's, it's just a start. Um, I think when we talk about historical trauma, what's really hard is you know, how do you heal from historical trauma if it's still, if it's not historical, right? It's still happening. You know, as black people, like we're still hearing about black people being murdered, you know, by the police, all sorts of things like racial injustice going on. And so historical trauma is not really historical for us. It's very much present. And so I think that's like a different conversation when we're talking about healing because there needs to be like some systems changes with that. So that's the one question. Yeah, I know, two deep questions. <laughs> I just know we don't talk about historically how things have yeah. passed down. So I love you talking about the Holocaust too and the indigenous population because yeah. it gives a broader perspective. Yeah. But the second question is faith, because some people just say this is the opposite. Wait a minute. 
pray and then I yeah. can take care of it. But you're saying, yeah. no, not just pray, but you also get professional yeah. help. Yeah. Like, seek help in the church. Don't seek help outside of the church. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. how do you... How do you explain that and articulate that in a way that people yeah. can consume, especially people who are in the church? Yeah. So the way I explain it, I compare it to our physical health, right? I don't think any pastor or any, you know, lay member would ever say, um, if you get help and you seek a doctor for your heart, you have heart disease, um, and you take heart medication, right? No one's going to say, that's not right. That's a sin. Something's wrong with you. Um, you need to just pray about that. No one's going to say that. And so I really compare that to mental health when I talk to people. And I'm like, that's that's no different. Like we have mental health. We have our physical health. We have our spiritual health. And, you know, God wants to see all of that whole. He wants to see you flourishing in all those areas. And there's nothing wrong if you need help and support in that, in the mental health, just like in your physical health. I think we'll probably continue the the um, therapist and you will probably weave throughout this conversation. I think it's just part and parcel of who you yeah. are. But there's a whole other part of you that, I mean, came out a little bit in your bio and people that yeah. know you. I mean, the fact that you're best of Madison business, chamber board, I mean, those are, uh, you're being acknowledged in this community, not just as a therapist, but also as a business yeah. leader and an entrepreneur. And, you know, Henry said, you know, there was that moment you left or you were still at journey, you had one foot in at 30 hours, and then you started your own practice. What was the need? What, you know, they, we always say to entrepreneurs, yeah. what problem are you trying to solve? Yeah. What problem were you trying yeah. to solve that caused you to leave a, a job to go out and do it on your own? Yeah. So, so two, two things, and I'm going to, I'm going to say this, and I'm also going to preference that I, I have so many friends and colleagues still at Journey Mental Health Center before I say this, and that I absolutely love um, Journey and their clinic and everything that they're, they're doing. I will say this as well, that when I was there, I didn't see a place for um, Black women in leadership there. And so, um, so that was one thing that was really kind of striving me is, I do feel like leadership is kind of a, a calling or like something like it's just been like something very natural for me. And so I just didn't see a long-term place in leadership for me there. So that was one thing that really kind of motivated for me to leave and like start my own practice. Um, and then the second thing is I they have wonderful cultural programs that are there and I saw that it could be so much bigger and so much better. And so one thing that I think I always do anywhere I'm at is I always try to advocate for change anywhere I am. So I I really saw the potential of like hiring more black and brown people, right? Like, you know, hey, like, why don't we, you know, kind of do a search for some more clinicians? And so the the messaging was always that there are not, there are none. Do you, do you know any? Do you want to go find them? And so it was kind of put on me, even though I wasn't a, a leader, I always thought there were some, you know, I'm like, I'm sure there are some, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know, but I'm pretty sure there are black and brown people or clinicians that we could recruit. So then starting Anesis was really interesting. And a lot of people don't know this. I would say it probably took us over two years, maybe our third or fourth year where we finally put an ad out that we were hiring. We never put any professional ads out. And so the first, the I think were just coming to people you. were coming to us. Yeah, they were coming to me. Um, it first started 
just really organic. Like, you know, so when I came, they were like, oh, I heard about you. You started your own um, practice. This was like within six months of me first opening up my practice. And I was like, yeah, you can, you can come and join me, but I'm learning. I just want you to know, like, I'm learning what I'm doing. <laughs> so you're going to have to bear with me then. And so by the end of the year, it was two people. And then the following year, it was like, you know, seven more people that, that joined. And so it was just like this very like exponential <laughs> growth, like every single year. Um, and I was always wanting to be very careful. Like every time we moved into an office or a building, I'm like, we're just going to like play this really small, you guys, because I just don't know what's going to happen. And they're like, we're going to, we're going to, you know, grow too big. We're going to need to move out again. And sure enough, then it would happen and it <laughs> happened and happened. I think we've been in like five locations since we've been open just because I never wanted to like go into this big space and not be able to like handle it. Right. Mm-hmm. And just always wanting to be careful. And then I think finally I was like, okay, we need, we need to buy a building. This is just ridiculous how much we're moving around. And, and it happened just as, as of last year. How did you decide to take that risk from working a 30 hour job, having a job that was stable? You have this job, you know, historically uh, black folks can't take those risks for the financial reasons. Like what made you say, you know what? I'm going to take this risk. I'm yeah. going to, because I, I know there's some people want to be entrepreneurs and want to, you know, want to do it, but you have to take risk. How, yeah. What, what, what was that calculation? Yeah. So my big risk was I don't want to have to go into my mortgage and have to pay for my business. And so I had like some starting costs um, and, it was so funny because my husband and I, this is like all the stuff that people don't see. We had like, we would always go back and forth, like, should I do this or not? And he was the business major in his school. So so we both went to like school for things that we're like not doing like for our undergrads. Did he go to Whitewater? He went to Edgewood. Edgewood. Yep. And so um, he's like, you need a business plan? Because I was just like, I'm going to do this. And he's like, nope, you need a business plan. You, I need to see your budget. You know, he's like putting on his business hat. And I was just like, oh, really? Like, I need to do all of this? And he's like, yeah, I just want to make sure you know what you're doing. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to research this. I'm going to, you know, do all this stuff. And so instead of like going to the bank, I was going to my husband, <laughs> getting his approval. And so I had all of it you know, written down, he's like, okay, this is, this is what you need. This is all. And he's just kind of looking at it. He's like, he's like, I think you could do it. I was like, I know I can do it. That's what I said. I know I can. So, um, opened it up and, um, was able not to, you know, of course go into my mortgage or anything like that. But I would say down the line, like when I started adding more and more people, the one big thing is, and like a lot of black owned businesses, I had no capital at the time. And so it was this funny thing of like insurance money, right? That takes like a couple of months sometimes to get your money from it and hiring a new staff member, right? And so that was you're like- You're talking about the reimbursement insurance, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so yes. for the listeners, you're talking about reimbursement yes, insurance reimburse- has a delay yes. before you can get paid for work you've already done, but you need yes. to hire people today. Correct, yeah. yeah. So you're kind of always like trying to catch up, right? right. Um, and so that took some- patience and some balance. And I would say even a couple of times, like me not paying myself. Right. And that's like the honest truth of entrepreneurship is that, you know, you put your employees ahead of you. And so if things are tight, 
they don't pay for that, you do. I think one of the things that is captivating a lot of people's attention about Anisis, it's not, it's not mm-hmm. just you and the story and mm-hmm. the entrepreneurial journey and the realness mm-hmm. of taking risks and doing something great for your community, but we've heard calls for by people of color, for people of color, for the yeah. benefit of all of us, right? Like, yeah. And this starts to feel like the prototype or the example of what that looks mm-hmm. like, where a leader of color takes a risk and communities there to act as a you know a supporting mechanism yeah. to lift to lift up that risk. Um, people follow you, right? I mean, you're saying that like for you know the yeah. people were calling you and saying, "I want to be part of, I want to yeah. be part of you." You were the reluctant Moses, the reluctant Pied Piper, <laughs> right? Like people, you were doing something. And people said, "I just want to follow. I want to, I want to be, you know, part of what you're building." But the outcome of what you're working on benefits all of us, right? It yeah. makes us a better, healthier, yeah. uh, more connected community. I'm curious as to, you know, you and I've talked about the word anesis before. I'm curious as to why you chose that word. Oh, my goodness. So what's so interesting, I'm going to bring my husband into this again. Um, He actually had came up with the word. And um, he was he wanted to start something else, and he wanted to call it anesis. And I kept thinking, and I, like, looked up the meaning and, like, the relief of symptom and just, like, all these things. And I was like, I was like this makes more sense for me to have this. And and I, like, you know, I just told him one night, I was like, do you mind if I, when I start my practice, can I, can I have that name? And he was like, yeah. He's like, that actually makes sense. And so that's kind of where that came from. Um, It's a Greek word. And it's, it, every time people find out what it means, they're like, oh my goodness, it just makes so much sense that this is called that. Yeah, I, I said this at your, your ribbon cutting. When you really dig deeper into the word, it's also a sentence that comes after, a concluding sentence that comes after a previous yeah. sentence. So it's about mitigating the effect of what was previously yeah. said. It's just so powerful when you think so about powerful. not just the Greek version of the word, yeah. but how it has evolved to yeah. say that this space, this place that you're building yeah. or have built and are growing is a place where the what has said before, what has come before, yeah. who you were before... Yeah is erased. It's mitigated. Yep. So I agree yeah. with your husband is it, it is the perfect word for what you yeah. do. Zach, we've done a lot of his interviews. He's really excited. Look at it. You're really excited to have this conversation with her. I rarely do ribbon cuttings. You know, like we have a, a team of ambassadors and this one showed up on the calendar and I was like, I, you know, I, I didn't, I knew of you. I didn't really yeah. know you. I didn't really, I knew I've heard the the name of the business. I just hadn't really dug into it. And I just started digging into it. You know, my team wrote a speech and it was just the sort of the usual stuff. But when I started to read your story, when I started to read the word and tie it back to community, because it was to me, it yeah. just felt so much bigger yeah. than four corners of your business, right? It yeah. just felt, it, it felt like it was projecting light out into the yeah. community and just, it like, consumed me. I mean, I wrote a speech that. It Pastor was, Allen was like, you should come and preach at Mount Zion. No, no, it really was like, drop the mic. Like it was, it was phenomenal. Yes, it felt, and, um, it came from, yeah, the, from I the could, heart. It, he I could, could he could probably be a preacher at a black church after that. I like, try to preach Whoa. to Henry all the time. He, he just, <laughs> just a wayward flock over there. Just <laughs> <laughs> see our text coming. It's just me preaching. <laughs> There's a lot of truth to him preaching. Um, so your most of your clientele are people of color? Yes. Okay. Yep. I'm asking from perspective of someone who has uh, uh, businesses that focus on communities of color. 
most people in Madison would say you can't have a business mm -hmm. that your major clientele is people of color and be successful or sustainable. Mm -hmm. So uh, you took a risk mm -hmm. to start a business that was needed, but still a, a niche within a niche sort of. What made you think it would be successful mm -hmm. yeah. focusing just on that clientele, people of color? Because mm -hmm. no one, there's no one going to read a business plan and say, oh, that can yep. work in Madison. Right. Right. So I would say, you know, I was doing the two days a week. Um, and again, I think I just had like an add on psycho psychology today. Not a whole lot. Like I wasn't like shouting it from the rooftops or anything like that. I want to give a shout out to, to um, Sabrina Madison. She was Progress. so encouraging when I first started in Anissa's. Like she was just like, okay, like Myra opened this up. Like she, now, she was a person who was shouting it from the rooftop. She was so supportive. Um, but I will say that I started getting these, ref like, people just started calling and wanting to schedule with me from even Janesville, people who were biracial, black, um, people who were out of town. I had some people from Chicago. I was like, I don't serve people, you know, in Illinois, but even some people from Chicago were calling. And so that told me right then and there, I was like, people are looking for this. It's just not accessible. And so now it's accessible. We're out there. Uh, we serve Rock County. We serve, we don't just serve Dane County. We serve Rock County, Oneida even, mm -hmm. you know, and of course, um, Dane County. And so um, we're actually doing some work in Milwaukee as well with City on a Hill. And that's like a, a homeless shelter. It's huge. Um, and we're doing some drop-in clinics through telehealth with them. When you were talking about your husband asking you questions about, let me see your business plan. Let me yeah. see your finance. You <laughs> probably noticed Henry throw a side eye at me. Oh, did he? Yeah. Oh, I missed well, it. Um, <laughs> so, wait, wait, well, hold on. He's used to it. Now. Yeah. But so he, so um, it's part of that back and forth between us is yeah. um, we have different strategies for how we move forward. I think Henry thinks it's like I'm overly detailed, but I'm, it's more to me the system, like thinking about like all the other things that come along with the yep. move. And both of them are valuable, right? And I think that's part of and why we, we both get to where we both get right. where at the end, we right. both get where we need to be. And go. I think it's also why we are able to interact so well with each other and be valuable uh, advocates for each other, mentors to right. each other, because we just see it just yeah. slightly different, but both know how to hard charge forward. 100%. Uh, which we certainly, you know yeah. how to hard charge forward. I read somewhere that you thought you think about the system yes. and um, and I don't mean that just in the business, but you think about yeah. the system in the clients that you serve and how yeah. everything is intertwined. I think system thinking is one of the yep. best things you can do in business, but I'm curious how you use system thinking, not just in your business, but how you address yeah. your clients. Yeah. Is, so, client, is that right word? Client? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I think with clients, like we, we look when a client sits in my room, it's just not them, right? It's all their experience. It's their family system that's in the room. It's their community that's in the room. It's laws and the legal system that's in the room. Like all of these things are in the room, even if I'm just dealing with one individual. And so when I say I'm a systems therapist, that's what I mean is that I'm looking at this person, understanding all these systems that are coming along with them. And also knowing that I may need to step out of my box and my system and be an advocate in some of those areas as well. Where it's like very like a European approach to me that you just, yeah, it's very individual. Like I'm just working with this one individual. 
they're not going to step out. They're not going to advocate or, or, or think really big. Right. But it's just like, I'm just doing my one hour. One person leaves, you know, you see your other client and you're just only dealing with that individual. And so that's what we mean when we say systems and working with systems. Earlier, you talked about being an advocate for change. Mm -hmm. So one of the risks in system thinking is that you sometimes want to go out and change the system or you feel the need to change the system and that can be consuming in itself. So um, you see the effects of many times the worst part of the system, right? You're not seeing the best parts of the system. How do you balance the, the, all of the demands of, of, of home and work and your clients, but then also I'm assuming having this urge to go out and, yeah. change, rebuild, dismantle, yeah. whatever the right verb is, yeah. the system. It's just a very delicate balance. And I was just talking to someone about this the other day about sometimes it's being friends with the system that you're actually pushing against, mm-hmm. right? And building that, those relationships. And sometimes it's harder, right? Because it's like, I'm, I want to build this relationship, but we're also going to push back on a whole bunch of things. But we can't do that if there's no relationship. And so we have built really, really great relationship with um, the county, CPS, youth justice. We even have some contracts, but we also push back a lot on social workers, um, on judges, on, you know, like it's not always very pretty, but we always have to be at the table, right? And you need to be in relationship to be at the table. And so that's my big philosophy is that we have to build these relationships, right? Um, because then what happens if you don't build the relationships, then they don't want to work with you. Then you don't get a contract and then you're not at the table anymore. And there's no trust. Right. Relationships build trust. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's a wonderful question. I, because I'm a big believer you have to change the systems internally. Yeah. That's my skill set, right? Yeah. We have people, I would say Malcolm had Martin and Martin had Thurgood. So right. you got people who worked in different parts. Yep to make sure that you can get things done. The problem is when we think only one way is the best way to do it. Right. right? Um, but for you, um, what type of, because you talked about you think you have a calling to be a leader. And yeah. leaders, leadership is, it's tough to be a leader. Yeah. I think a lot of people want to be a leader, but leaders are really to put out fires, you have to make the tough decisions. Yeah. You, you, you have to be, you're not going to be popular all the time. Right. How would you define yourself as a leader? Like what would you say your leadership style is? Hmm. I would say my style is... Um, very collaborative. Um, I would also say it's at at times I can be what I've heard a, a little bit of a perfectionist with some things. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you do enneagrams. I'm a one enneagram, so I do. I love. I'm, I'm. I love enneagrams. What's your number? I think I'm a seven. Right, I'm an achiever. I'm oh. an achiever. Is that a seven or a five? Three. Three. Okay, I'm an achiever. Your Enneagram? He's a perfectionist, oh. whatever it is. What's He's probably that? a one, then. <laughs> yeah, whatever that is on steroids. Oh, no. <laughs> times. People say don't let perfection get in the way of, I'll hear blah, 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 blah. <laughs> He's like, I don't even know the end of that statement. He's like, it's worked this far. But I'm also, I, I also feel like some of my style is very much like get my hands dirty kind of like I'm never like a person like I'm never going to expect someone to do something I wouldn't do so I'm going to do it alongside you that's real there's yeah and and that's just my style um it's never me it's we and even and I I tell people this all the time I I know I bought a commercial building 
And I, it's, it, ugh, just like, it grosses me out to even say that. But I always say, we bought a building. We did this. We did that. We did, you know, um, that comes out more naturally for me. And I would say that's probably more my style. Where do you feel your most authentic self? I mean, what is that, mm. where is that moment, that space, that time where you feel the most authentic? Oh, wow. Hmm. I try to be my authentic self all the time, but I know there are places and spaces where there's probably more. I would say maybe with my kids just being silly, like just being super silly. I have my youngest child, um, all the, the other kids say, he's the most like you, mom. And he's so silly. And like people probably wouldn't think that would be me. But like around the house, I am like silly. I'm singing songs, dancing, joking around, dancing in front of the TV when everyone's trying to watch a, a TV show. Here comes mom, just going to dance. And, you know, I think that's probably where my most authentic self is, is maybe just being like fun, silly, with my kids, no cares, right? That's awesome. Yeah. That's great. Uh, being authentic also... We we really try to figure out how can we make Mass and be a home for people of color, and mm-hmm. how can we like, like this is home. With all your experience yeah. dealing with trauma, uh, being a leader, being authentic, what what would you say? What advice would you give us to say this is what people of color, especially if they're moving here? How would you say yeah. to make this knowing all the historical trauma and everything? Yeah. How do you make this home? Yeah, I think take up space, right. Um, as a black person, I hate it when, and I, I heard this all the time growing up, like you're smart or, you know, like you're white or, you know, like putting these different definitions of what black and what white means. And I think the biggest thing that black people can do in Madison or anywhere is like take up space where you're at. So if you want to ride your bike, there's like bike paths. It's not for certain people. It's for us. Right make it for you. If you don't feel like it's for you, make it for you. Make space, take up space, do things that Madison is like really great for, right? We should experience those things. It shouldn't be just for a certain group of people. And I think society tells us like these places or these spaces are off limits and to just go against that. And um, I think in doing that, you kind of explore more and then you start creating and kind of sending those spaces aside for black and brown people. Right. I feel like that's what I did with the nieces, right? Like that, this was like a space that like, you know, black people don't do therapy. Hmm, why? I think so. I think different. I'm going to say we do. But as we wrap up, um, we ask everybody the same question. You can certainly punt if you say it's, that's she, not me, but I, I know, but I'm just allowing for space. Best MC of all times. Like that mind shift that we do there is at the end. Is that why you guys were talking about Tupac and stuff when I came in? <laughs> is that what you guys no, talking no, about hip hop? No, no, no. I was a, a day. I was teasing a day. I, I was just teasing her when she was growing up about who she liked, and so I was picking on her as always. MC Light. Let's just do that for now. You guys, so, <laughs> so she, she has the churchlessness too, right? So, <laughs> so they were like, she, she best in the cray, something like that. I saw like, oh, oh, I like Lecrae. See, I like Lecrae. That's that's Lecrae. Yeah. So all the churchlessness. She said Lecrae, 
Christian rapper Lecrae. <laughs> but you know, I love '90s hip hop though. For them, now that you say you love it, like beyond MC Light, what's your top five randomly? Like, I love Biggie, and I did like Tupac too. I, you know, we're in the Midwest. We can like, yeah, you yeah. know, we liked all of it. Yeah. And then you know, I just like um, Queen Latifah. Mm-hmm. I love her. That's right. No, those are all, and some of those are new names that we haven't. <laughs> so Queen, like the Queen. I saw, yeah. Okay, so. All right, takeaways. There's so many in this one. The, the one takeaway is it's okay to take risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think another one is uh, it's okay to be a perfectionist, mm-hmm. right? Leadership, know your leadership style. We before I, like a mm-hmm. we. And uh, taking up space. I think the last one she really hit home to me was talking about when someone walks into the room, how she sees it from more like, uh, this is my words, but from a culturally perspective of, I'm seeing the, the we in them. I'm not just seeing them walking as an individual. I'm seeing their their mother, their dad, or the parents who weren't there, or the sister, or the, what happened in the neighborhood, the community. Like All that is coming into the space in the room, and I need to address all of that to get to the root of who you are. So that also sticks with me. Yeah, I agree. That systems thinking is a big takeaway for me about just seeing things as a system. You said both make space and take space, which I think is interesting because they actually have different connotations and mean different things. But Mm -hmm. I think both of them are important that you said both uh, find, be an advocate for change, but also you talked about finding your own advocates. Yeah. You know, people who will champion you will be there for you. And then the leadership calling, like hearing it and like, and seizing it. I think those are amazing things to impart. And we certainly appreciate you for coming in and sharing that with us. All right. Another episode of the leaderboard podcast uh, is done. Thank you for joining us. Make sure that you hit that like subscribe, uh, follow us, let us know how we're doing. Thank you for coming on this journey with us and we'll see you next time. <laughs>